Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I'm very glad that you're here, and I'm glad to be able to continue in our series with you today that we started last week. The series is called Who I Am, and in this series, we are looking at who Christ really is. We're hearing from him in his own words the fact that he is very God, that he is the I Am of the Old Testament, that he is Yahweh. And along with that, because he is God, he is uniquely able to provide things for us that no one else can. And he is the ultimate source of everything that we need. We need to look no further than him. And each aspect of these I am statements focuses in on a a very important area of life that we find in him, the author and the source of life. Last week, we began by looking at the first I am statement, which was the bread of life in John chapter 6. And we saw there that Jesus is the ultimate source of true and lasting fulfillment. In every aspect of life, he is the one that will satisfy. He is the one who will fully provide all that we're all longing for and looking for. And this week, as we continue on, it's about, it's about six months from the events in John chapter 6. About six months have have passed between the last I am statement and the events of John 6 and what's happening uh, and being said here in John 8 that we'll be in today. We know from the end of John chapter 7 that the Feast of Tabernacles had just ended. The Feast of Tabernacles was perhaps the greatest celebration in all of Israel. It was a week-long celebration where they looked back and commemorated God's faithfulness to them as they were wandering in the wilderness right after the exodus. And they primarily focused on the fact that while in the wilderness, God provided them shelter, God provided them a place to worship him, God provided them physical provision in the form of manna, and they, they highlighted the fact that there was the great pillar that was always present with them, signifying God's faithful presence. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to to give them safe passage and security as they were there in the night in the wilderness. So Jesus shows up midway in that celebration. He waits, he doesn't go at the beginning, and he shows up mid-celebration. And he starts speaking and he starts teaching. And, and as often happens at this point in his ministry, controversy ensues. And there's a debate about who he really is and why he's saying what he's saying. And there's, there's a split audience. And at the end of the ceremonies, at the end of the celebrations, people just go back to their own homes. Because during the Feast of Tabernacles, everybody comes out from their homes and they live in tents and they live in temporary shelters to signify and to commemorate the way the nation of Israel lived during their wilderness wanderings. At the end of all of this, John 7:53 says, and they all went back to their homes. It was all over, it was all done. They heard from Jesus, the controversy reached a crescendo and then just kind of died away and they all go back to their homes. But Jesus, he slips away. He slips away for some time alone, some time of reflection, some time of prayer. But it's only a brief break. It's only a little break because shortly after that, he returns to the temple complex again and he starts teaching again. So he takes maybe a day break and then he's right back at it. He goes back to the temple and he starts teaching. And as soon as he's teaching, he's apparently interrupted And he's interrupted by religious leaders, the scribes, the the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. 
And the interruption is that they are bringing a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Many of you are familiar with that story in that passage where they drag a woman caught in adultery and they they throw her at Jesus' feet right there in the midst of all the people listening and they're waiting and they're watching and they're seeing what's going to happen. And they're doing this to try to, to catch him, to try to ensnare him, to discredit him, to get him to trip up, to not be in line with what the law says to do, and then also, though, to show himself as not being fully merciful or gracious. So they're, they're trying to ensnare him and discredit him. And after Jesus silences them, and after he silences the mob that they have gotten together to try to, to do away with this woman, and after he addresses her and he sends her away in grace and in mercy and forgiveness, it's a beautiful story. After he does all of that, it's amazing. He just sits back down and just starts teaching again. It's like, okay, let's get back to it. Like that didn't even happen. And that's where we, we pick up. It's him resuming his thoughts and resuming his teaching after this interruption in John 8.12. So John 8.12 says this, When Jesus spoke again to the people, and that, that's referring to that little pause there, that interruption. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, here's what he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The I am here that he says, I want to remind you again, it's emphatic. It's emphatic. It's the same exact obvious reference to deity, to to being Yahweh, as we saw in John 6 last week, and as we will see in each of the statements going forward. It's an obvious claim to being more than the man they see before them. He's saying, I have always existed in all of eternity. I am the same God of the Old Testament that Moses encountered in the bush that I sent to rescue Israel. I am the same yesterday. I am the same today. I am the same forever. That's what he's saying there. And, and once again, he's saying, because I am God, because I am Yahweh, there's something that I alone can lay claim to. There's something I alone can provide. That's being the light of the world. The light of the world, he says. I am the light of the world. And we need to understand something about this in the immediate context that we find this in. Light was a very important symbol in the Feast of the Tabernacles. And during the feast, uh, many things were done to specifically remind the Jewish people about the pillar of fire by night, which led the nation of Israel safely through the desert after the exodus, and it provided a sense of security and safety. The pillar of fire was incredible for them because it showed that God wasn't just there some of the time, that God was there all of the time. He wasn't just there when it was light and bright and everything was easy to be seen. He was also there when it was dark And where fear crept in, he was there also. It reminded the nation of Israel at the time of the Exodus, as well as during this time of commemoration, that God will never leave them. And that God will always be what his people needs from him and what he needs them to be, what they need him to be. And the same is true for us. We can always remember that. A, God will never leave us. And B, God will always be what we need. Always. And that's what was so important about this part of the Feast of Tabernacles. Every night during the whole week-long celebration, there would be these two huge 
candelabras, these huge torches on either side of the temple complex that were lit. And on the last night of the festival, they were, they were lit the whole time to get everybody's focus on the fact that God was still with them, just as he was in the wilderness. That was the most obvious symbol of his faithfulness, the most obvious symbol of his protection, these giant pillars full of candles. Think, think the Olympic torch, right? The Olympic torch, you know how that's lit every, every Olympic Games, and it's just huge, and it's beautiful, and it's big, and it's bright, and it's a symbol of hope, and it's a symbol of going forward, right? That's the same idea that, that this was. And it's not spelled out in the text immediately, so it can't be proven dogmatically, but it seems very, very likely that Jesus took this important symbol and simply applied it to himself. And he took this symbol of these, these great torches that were burning, which looked back to the pillar of fire, that he took all of that and he just applied it to himself. Because the lights, those lights, would now have been extinguished here in John eight twelve, when he said this statement, I am the light of the world. When he said this, those great torches would have been extinguished because the festival was over. And what better case in point to what he was saying? than to have these great torches that were lit every night and everybody saw and everybody was thinking about, to have them now suddenly extinguished. What, a, what better case in point to his statement about being the exclusive light of the world? It was, it was in this statement that Jesus was saying to his original audience and to us reading this today, Jesus was saying, all other lights, all other lights, no matter how big, no matter how bright, no matter how beautiful, all other lights will go out. They will all go out. They will all leave you in the dark. doesn't matter what you're looking at, what other source of light you see or have. No matter what other light makes you feel safe or secure, all other lights will eventually go out. They'll eventually fade, and they'll leave you in the dark. All other lights, except for me. Jesus would say. Jesus is saying here, I am the only source of light that will never go out, that will never fade away, that will never leave you in the dark. Very important to understand. Very important to believe. Very important to remember. So, Looking still in the text and in this statement, this amazing statement about Jesus being the light of the world. He's saying, I am, I am God, I am Yahweh, and as that, I am the exclusive, the unique light of the world that, that you need to look to, that you need to embrace. And then he, he says this, anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That, that word, follow me, that's him saying literally, I want you to become my disciple. Anyone who becomes my disciple, anyone who joins sides with me, anyone who partners with me, Jesus says, has this promise for them. There's a promise attached to to following Jesus, to being on his side, to being his disciple. The promise is this, that they will never walk in the darkness. And that walk, that has the idea of dwelling in, living in, abiding it's not just taking steps. It's not just like we think of walking. It's the idea of, of being saturated by. 
And the promise of Jesus to everyone who truly follows him, who is genuinely his disciple, is that they will never have to experience being saturated by the darkness around them. He did not say they will never experience the darkness. He did not say they will not anymore be aware of darkness. He didn't promise that. Which leads us to understand that the darkness is still going to be around the follower of Christ. What he promised, though, is that that darkness will never conquer them. That darkness will never have to define the disciple of Christ. The darkness they journey through will never, ever have to be part of their life. They won't have to live in it. They won't have to be full of it. Anyone who follows Jesus will never live that way. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. And the other promise attached to that is this. But, to contrast walking in darkness or living in darkness, that's not going to define the disciple of Christ. The, the contrast to that is that, the, that they will have this, that they will have the light of life. They will have already, they will own, they will possess. It's not something they have to search for or look for or go after or, or be given to them. If you're in Christ... If you're his disciple, if you're a follower of him, you have the light of life with you already. It's yours. You possess it. And this is an incredible promise, particularly with the word life that he uses here. You know, we hear this word life in our English and we just, we, we think of life the way we live. We think of breathing and functioning and being alive, right? This is another example of where our, our English language just doesn't do us or this text justice. Because the word that Jesus used here, the, the word that John records and writes here is the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E. It's pronounced zoe. And the word there is incredible. It means divine, incorruptible, eternal life found only in God. It's the life found in God. It's the life that God alone has and possesses. It's what is true of him exclusively. But it's that which Jesus came to give to us. It's that which Jesus wants us to share in and experience. Every time you see this word attached to life in the scriptures, it always refers to that divine, incorruptible, incorruptible eternal life that we can't manufacture, that we can't achieve on our own. It's something tied to God himself. And unless God graciously provides it, we could never have it. We could never experience it. And what Jesus' promise is here is because I am the light of the world, I'm the eternal light of the world, I'm the only source of it, you need to look to me. And if you come to me and if you embrace me, you'll never have to experience being dominated by the darkness around you. Instead, you will possess and have with you that divine eternal life that everyone wants and everyone searches for, but no one will find apart from me. And if you're in me and if you follow me, here it is, it's yours. It's yours. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that an amazing promise? That's what Jesus is saying here in this statement, in this promise and in the reality that he is the light of the world. 
There's so much wrapped up in the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. There's, there's so much intended for us in having his light. I want you to understand it. I want, I want us to make sure we, we get this concept, all that is wrapped up in it. I don't know if you've ever been caving or not on a caving trip. I don't know if you've ever done that. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever been caving on an actual caving expedition? Man, it's scary. It's crazy. I've only done it one time in my life, and that's enough for me to last the rest of my life. Because if, if you've been caving, you probably had a similar experience. If, you're not, if you haven't, let me save you the trouble. I'll tell you about it so that you don't have to do it. Okay? Because if you're smart, you, you just won't do it after you hear this. So when you're, when you're caving, you, you're in a group, and they take you into this cave, and it starts off, and it's okay, because it's, it's a big open space so you can go through. And as you go through it, it gets more narrow and more narrow and more narrow, and it also gets darker and darker and darker. And you have, you have these little hats that they give you, these hard hats, and it has this little uh, headlamp on it, right? And that's all good and well, um, but this is your only light very early on in the caving experience. That's it. Because all the other lights are gone. So, I mean, you're in this cramped little damp space. And you hear these sounds. You don't know what they are. I mean, it could be a little cricket. It could be a giant eating dinosaur. You know, a giant man-eating dinosaur that's right there. Uh, and you don't even see it. And it's too late. Because, bam, you're gone. You know? Um, and you just, so you hear all these noises, and it's just this, this crazy environment, and you just, you can't see a hand in front of your face, and there's just these lights. And at some point, the guide, this maniacal terrorist kind of person, tells everybody, okay, lights off. And so you turn all your lights off, and then it's really black. I mean, it's the black darkness that you can, like, you can, you can taste, you know? The darkness you can feel. It's a, it's a bad experience. It's a bad experience. But the, the one thing that you tend to embrace really quickly and you tend to love and it's, it's your best friend in that caving experience, it's this little light, this little light on your hat. I mean, that's your saving grace right there. Because the, this little light lights your own path ahead of you and it actually does an amazing job. This little tiny light, it's not much. I mean, look at that, that's small. But when you're in utter darkness... When you're in total darkness all around you, all it takes is a little light. And it still helps you see clearly. And it helps you see securely. And it comforts you. It's all it takes. So this little light, it lights your own path before you. But here's the other thing that those lights do. Because you're in a group, your light also lights the way for other people. And theirs lights the way for you. And if your light Maybe it's a little weaker than another and it starts flickering. That's the beauty of having other people around you because their light also chips in and it lights your way for you. That's the concept that's contained in what Jesus promises here. For all who are truly his disciple, all who are truly in him, he's promising, he's promising that you don't really have to search for or look for a light, or hope for a light, or wait for one to be given to you. Because in him, in Jesus, the light of the world, you have. It's yours. You possess it. You own it already in the present tense. You have a light 
with you constantly, constantly, here and now. And it's a light, it's a light, hear me, it's a light that will never go out. Because it's not a light that's up to me to keep going. It's not a light that I have to be strong enough to keep on, or smart enough to keep on. It's not a life that depends on some type of human technology. It's not a life, light that depends on someone else being strong enough for me when I can't. The light that I have with me, the light that is mine, is his light. It's his very nature. It's his essence that he shares with me because I'm in him. And the same is true for you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Because let's face it, we're in the midst of a dark world. Don't let the sunshine fool you. We're in the midst of darkness around every turn and around every corner. There's darkness in culture. There's darkness in government. There's darkness in your workplace. There's darkness in your family. There's darkness in those close to you that they are struggling with and battling, whether it's sin or depression, temptation, addiction, grief over a loss of a loved one that weighs heavy and it's just clouding their mind and their heart and you're just sitting there and you're seeing it and you're, you feel totally, utterly helpless. There's darkness. It's a dark world. No one can deny that. No one. Which makes it all the more spectacular that we have a Savior and a God who says, I am the eternal, constant light of the world, and no matter how dark it gets, it will not change the fact that I am the constant light. No matter what you face or experience or see, it will never fade my light, not even in the slightest. And all that I am, I give to you. It's yours. It's yours to go through that darkness. Doesn't mean the darkness is going to go away while you're here on this earth, while you're, while you're going through life. Yeah, you're going to see darkness around you, but it will never come in and defeat you. It will never conquer you. It will never overcome you because it never overcame me. And my victory I give to you forever. It's the promise of your Savior, church. The promise of the light of the world. And by this light, by his light, here's what we can do. We can first of all see and know the Father. We can see and know the Father. John 14, 9, Jesus told Philip when he, when he said, Oh, just please show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, Philip, are you kidding me? Really? I've been with you this long, three and a half years, and you still don't get it? Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he wasn't saying he is the Father. I mean, the Trinity is still very much intact in a reality. He's separate from the Father, but he shares the divine nature of the Father. He shares the character of the Father. What the Father is, and what the Father desires, and what the Father wills, the same is true for Jesus. And he's saying, so Philip, if you, if you see me and you know me and you listen to my words, you're seeing and you're knowing and you're hearing from my Father. So by the light of Jesus, who is the light of the world, we can see and know the Father. And that means as we, as we concentrate 
on him as we choose to focus on the brightness of his glory. The darkness around us should affect us less and less and less. There's the old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I'm sure a lot of you know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, in all of its darkness, will grow strangely dim. And the light of his glory and grace. That's the key. That's the key. It's choosing a perspective shift. It's choosing to turn away from the darkness that is so around us that we see, that we so often focus on entirely. It's choosing to shift that perspective. And instead, it's choosing to focus on His light, which is always there, constantly. And we don't have to look far for it because it's in us. It's with us if we are in Christ. It's choosing To reorient your vision away from the darkness and on his glorious light. We have that ability, Christian, every single moment. It's there. It's for us. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says this, For God, speaking of the Father, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, a reference to creation, made his light shine in our hearts. Catch that? Here's the purpose of why he did that. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus Christ, the light of the world, we can see and know God fully, entirely. We don't need continued and additional revelation of God. We have it all in the person of Jesus Christ. And he constantly sheds that light into our hearts. Constantly points us upward toward himself. The second thing we're able to do by this light, by his light, is that we can overcome spiritual darkness. We can overcome spiritual darkness or or evil, both internally and externally. We need, oh how we need, we need the constant contrast of the purity and the beauty of his light to turn us away from being captivated by our own sin. We need that constant contrast of light versus darkness, of beauty versus hideousness that really sin is. And as we tune our minds and our eyes to seeing that contrast and once we really see him for who and what he is and once we see him in all of his beauty and his splendor what should happen is all that sin that we find so easy to chase after and to embrace it just it should just turn to ash before us it should be less and less and less appealing And not only should we take that contrast for ourselves, but we also need to take that contrast and display it to the world around us. So that they too can say, what am I chasing this for? Look, Look at that. Look at him. I need to trade up. And that's what we can do 
by his light, by the light of the world. So let's connect the thoughts here. Let's just connect all the thoughts. Because Jesus is fully God, I am. Because Jesus is fully God, he is able to be uniquely and exclusively the light of the world. And as the light of the world, he fully reveals the truth and the glory of God. And he reveals all spiritual reality to us. He also removes our own darkness from our hearts and our minds and our lives. Both spiritual ignorance and spiritual wickedness. And he replaces it with his light and his righteousness. This allows us then to be his ambassadors. This allows us to be his ambassadors. Him doing all of that. Him being the light of the world. Him shining his light in our hearts and on our minds. Him removing darkness from us and contrasting darkness with his light. It allows us to be his ambassadors. To represent all that he is to the world around us. And that's exactly what he calls us to be. And that's exactly what we need to be doing. That should be our, our just natural response Once we see him in all of his light, once we comprehend all that that means for us, all that he's given us, all that we have in and through him, our natural response should just be, go, here I am, I'm going to go, I'm I'm going to be used by you however you want to use me, just send me, use me, burn me up for you. I want to be your light. By you I see light. And graciously, amazingly, you've made me light in you. Now, now I want to just go and I want to burn bright to the world around me. That needs to be our response, Christian. Once we surrender our lives to him and the light he is, that should be our response. Natural, continual, and increasing. 2 Corinthians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 20 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, We are therefore, in light of all that we have in Christ and because of Christ, all that he's done for us, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. Think of it. Think of it. Almighty, holy, perfect God. Making an appeal through sinful Selfish, weak, us. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is our job. That is every Christian's ministry. It's not the ministry exclusively to the pastor or to the missionary. It is every single child of God's responsibility and calling to be an ambassador of the light of the world. And to neglect doing that is to sin, plain and simple. There's just no getting around it. This thought continues in 1 Peter 2.9, where Peter writes this, But you, speaking to the church, believers, disciples of Christ, you and me, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And here's why we're all of that. Here's why the purpose for all of that, what that is, that you may declare 
the praises of him who called you out of darkness, which we all were hopelessly tied to apart from Christ, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Only grace. Only grace did that. And then, finally, Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount says this to his disciples, and by extension, us today, if you're in Christ. He says this, here's what the light of the world himself says. You are the light of the world. Wait, wait a second, Jesus, wait, wait, wait. I thought, I, thought, I thought you are the only light of the world. I thought you were the light of the world. What do you mean I am the light of the world? Remember, what he is, he shares with you. What he is, he gives to you. What he came to be, he calls you now to be. In him, we also have the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, no matter how small it is. Think Beckley. We're a city on a hill. If you're coming back on the interstate from being anywhere else and you come, you can't miss Beckley. As small and insignificant as it is, you know, oh, there's Beckley. I see it. I see the lights up there on the hill. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, of course, right? And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, just like that. Let your light, which I give you, Jesus says, which which you have in and through me, let your light shine before men. Think of a floodlight. Just beaming light everywhere. Penetrating the darkness. Shine your light. Let your light shine before men. Here's the purpose. That they may see your good deeds... And not glorify you and talk about how good you are. Not marvel at how bright you are. No, no, no. That's not what he says. That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That they may come to him. That they may know him fully. That they may embrace him. Christian, because Jesus is the light of the world, the source of of true, never-ending light. If we are his, if we are truly his, then on a smaller scale, we receive and become carriers of his own divine light. We become light bearers. When you came in today, I hope that you received a little matchbox that you got with your bulletin. Hopefully you received one. And when you see the light of this match or you feel its heat, I want you to do something. I want this to serve for you and I want you to think about Jesus and the fact that he is the ultimate source of light that will never fade or go out, that he is the light of the world. I want you to think about that. And as you extinguish that match, and it's, I mean, it's just gone like that. It's, it's just it's there and then it's not. It's instantaneous, instantaneous. I want you to think about the contrast between that and the fact that the light of the world, your Savior, his light will never fade. 
never go out. No matter how thick and intimidating the darkness might be, it will never affect his light. Think about that. And on the top of the box, John 8, 12 is there. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk. And remember that that's live. They they won't have to live. They won't be inundated by the darkness. They won't have to define them. It won't saturate them. We'll never walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life, eternal, unending, incorruptible, glorious life that Jesus alone provides. It's yours. So think about that. And then remember, too, that you aren't supposed to keep that light to yourself. That's not what you have that light for. It's not just for you. It's not just for me. It's not for us just to rest on and and enjoy ourselves and keep to ourselves. Rather, you're supposed to share it with others. You're supposed to shine it and display it, his light, like a floodlight in the dark world around you. And that's what's on the back of the matchbox, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light, which you have through Jesus, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, let that remind you. Let that motivate you. Let that prompt you to be the light of the world that you were called to be by the light of the world. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we don't have to look far to find light. I thank you that we don't have to just hope and and worry about whether or not we're going to make it through the darkness that we're so often reminded of. I thank you that through your Son, in your Son, who is the light of the world, we have a constant source of light that will never go out. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you for by grace giving us that light. And thank you for by grace calling us to be that light now. What we have received... You have called us to share. What we have embraced, you have called us to be ambassadors of so that you might, through us, call others to embrace. Father, may we take that seriously. May we own that call. And by your Spirit's power, may we obey that call. And also, Father, please, I pray this for every one of my my brothers and sisters that is here myself included, by your Spirit, please constantly remind us that we do not have to fear the darkness and we do not have to surrender to it. That we have the overcoming light of Jesus in us every moment and with every breath. Help us to believe it. Help us to remember it. Help us to apply it, I pray. And if anyone is here that has not yet embraced the light of Jesus... They are still in darkness. Please, by your Spirit's work, change that of them this moment, this day. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.